we just sang a hymn that said the truth is concealed. And so many don't believe that. But I want to remind you that it is most true. And the truth has been concealed from the vast majority of men and revealed to some. And it is a great privilege. And you had better take heed to God's word in reading it, believing it, and applying it, or he will blind you to it. It is a book like there is no other in the universe. It is a spiritual book written by a spiritual author that has spiritual characteristics that make it easy for those that fear God and make it difficult for those that don't. It is a book like no other. And I exhort you to read it and to love it and to feed on it every single day because it is your life. You may open with me to Genesis chapter 11. And I hope that anyone who is listening to this that was not in this assembly will remember the words of the song, Break Thou the Bread of Life to Me, that it says the truth is concealed and the truth is revealed in that same word. And it's the God that authored that book that is able to do both. What a special book, our Bibles. Do you love your Bible like you should? Do you understand the unique nature of its words? Do you understand how few understand it? Do you understand how few understand it? Do you tremble before the God that wrote it? Do you fear being blinded to it? Are you thankful for every bit of truth you've taken from it? In Genesis chapter 11, we have the event of the Tower of Babel. And many of you read that last evening. I just want to read a few of the verses to you because I want you to understand something right off the bat about the God we serve. He blinds men when they don't do things His way. Truth is not a right. Amen. That's right. Truth is a privilege. Right. Truth is not discovered. Truth is revealed. And God gives it. God makes the revelation. It's a privilege. Thank you, blessed God. No wonder the apostle would say, I just got to get it out there. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. We are bound to give thanks. Those Thessalonians had worshipped false gods. They turned from those idols to wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God had blessed them so abundantly, and He has blessed us, and we are bound to give thanks. Genesis chapter 11, this is after the flood. Men would not multiply and replenish the earth. They wanted to stay together in one place and get themselves a name. They did not want to be separated upon the earth. They did not follow the commandment that God had given Noah and his sons. And instead, they wanted to build themselves a tower to get themselves some unity, a name, and not be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. They did not want to replenish the earth. So the Lord helped them do it. And here's how He helped them do it. The Lord came down in verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. 
So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. God got them scattered abroad. There, there are rules taught in the Bible that you will never learn in sociology classes or anthropology classes, but the reason there are nations and national boundaries in the earth, according to Acts chapter 14 and 17, is that men might happily seek after the Lord. Right. When men get united and are able to put all their efforts together, they tend to think too highly of themselves and they turn away from God. And so the Bible tells us that there are national boundaries for a purpose. It puts them in fear of one another. It forces them to seek God because they don't have all the resources and all the military strength at their disposal. In fact, they have some guns aimed right at them. That's in Acts 14 and Acts 17. Political science is taught by the Bible. God knows the affairs of men. He knows how their hearts work. But right here, God confounded them all. Our God is the God of language. God chose that we would communicate to each other. He could have made us creatures that didn't communicate, but we do communicate. We communicate by language. We can speak it. We can write it. And God here shows that He is the God of language. In one commandment, and His Word runneth very swiftly. Did Psalm 147 tell us that this morning? His Word runs very swiftly. He said, let them be confounded and each man have a different language. And all of a sudden, that building project was over. As I've said before, the 20-ton chunk of limestone or granite, whatever you want it to be, that was suspended in the air, the man on the ground yelled in a new language for them to pull it higher, but the men above thought that he said to let go. There was confusion. Great confusion. And the Lord was the author of it. The Lord was the doer of it. The Lord worked confusion in the affairs of men when they wanted to get together early on to build the League of Nations or the United Nations and to get themselves a name and not fulfill His commandments. They wanted to do what was in the imagination of their heart, and so God destroyed their efforts by confusing their language. My dear brethren, I want to cover this subject today so that you will give thanks for the Word of God. I want to cover this subject today so that you will fear His blinding power. I want to cover this subject today so that you will understand the religious confusion that exists in the world and where it comes from. I want to cover this subject today so that you will understand the character of the God we worship. He is different than the God that is taught in most pulpits. I want to cover this subject so that you will study your Bibles to learn. I want you to care for the truth. And I want our newcomers that may not be familiar with this subject to understand it well. Last Sunday, I addressed you about the truth that God has given us, and for all of our young people and those that are in school, whether they be young or old, that they will be like Joseph, David, and Daniel and stand for the truth of God's Word. And I exhorted them to that both services last Sunday. On Wednesday evening, we looked at the differences that exist among Christian denominations. And I want you to think about that for a moment. I gave you a little chart just to help you out through thinking through all the points of difference. And I just gave some rough categories that we have with other Christians. If we take just the Bible, let's stop with just the Bible. If we look at just the Bible, 
Which language should we go to? Some say we should go to the Hebrew. Some say we should go to the Greek. Some are content with the English. Once we decide what language and we say it's the English language because that's what I know and that's what I want to read every day, then which version in English of the hundred versions that have been put into English in the last hundred years? Once you've got the English Bible and you've picked the King James Bible, what rules of study do you follow to understand what is written in it? Some would treat it just like any other book. But the Bible has its own internal rules of interpretation. Who would you put more emphasis on their instruction, Jesus or Paul? For what time frame? Would you argue the book so carefully that you would argue from a single letter? Like the Lord Jesus Christ did on four occasions and the Apostle Paul did on four occasions. What canon would you use? Would you use a canon of 66 books or would you use the canon of 75 books? How dogmatic would you be about every verse? How much confidence would you place in it? Would you be able to identify what fruit follows the Word of God? Would you know the doctrine of inspiration and the doctrine of preservation? Do you know all those things about the Bible? Do you know that God wrote the Bible to confuse most of its readers? That little tiny point we deal with today. It is one of many points about the Bible. The Bible is one of many points that we differ on from many that call themselves Christians. Let me remind you of the math. There are 6.7 billion people on earth. 4.7 billion are pagans. 2 billion call themselves Christian. 1.5 billion of those are the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox communions that pretend they're like the Catholic Church. The Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, and so forth. The Egyptian Coptic and, and others. So we're down to a half a billion. A half a billion claim to be in some way, shape, or form, some degree of intensity and integrity to be Bible Christians or to follow the Bible to some measure. But the vast majority of them do not understand the Bible. So we have out of the 6.7 billion people on earth, 4.7 billion in pagan darkness. 1.5 billion in sacramental, Catholic, Pope, Mary worship darkness. And another half billion in Bible darkness. And very few understand the Bible. You know, when I say those that follow the Bible to some degree, I'm talking about Mormons. I'm talking about Charismatics. I'm talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. A Jehovah's Witness comes to your door with a Bible. But they don't understand the Bible. Do you know how little truth there is in the earth? Now, he preaches a sermon every morning and every night from the sun and the moon and the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Romans chapter 1 says his truth is shown. It's preached in every dialect and every language. But you know, that truth doesn't tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, does it? It just tells them there's a great God in heaven that created you and you ought to fall on your face and love him. You ought to fall on your face and fear him because he's got an eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse to think that there isn't a God. And they are without excuse to think that they can make some little statute and that is God. Because they know that there's a God in heaven that's greater than that. But what happens to them? Romans chapter 1 tells us when they are not thankful to him for what they have. When they are not thankful to him for the pair of legs they have. As I mentioned about Usain Bolt earlier. When they are not thankful for the finest of wheat that they put into their mouths. When they are not thankful for him for the beauty of a snowfall. Where every single flake is geometrically different than the one that fell before it and after it. When they are not thankful for all those things. He rewires their minds. He rewires them. He pulls a wire net off. 
pulls the wires apart, puts them together with some other wires and screws it back up, and they do things which are not convenient. They are made fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He hardens their hearts. He turns them over to a reprobate mind. He gives them over. This is the Word of God. You know what we ought to do right now? We ought to stop and be thankful. So I hope you're being thankful in your hearts. Thanksgiving is not something we wait for the fourth Thursday in November. Thanksgiving is something we ought to engage in every day. Isn't that what Psalm 147 started out with? That praise is comely. Praise is pleasant. Praise is good. Because the Lord expects us to give Him that, or He will just pull the shades down over our eyes. You'll think you're as smart as can be. Do you think the world thinks they're dumb? The world thinks they're incredibly smart. We know they're incredibly blinded. You'll never know it. I'll never know it. The shades will just come down. That is scary. And do you know what? He has a heart inside you that will work with Him very willingly. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is the issue that we have to take care of. Look what the Lord did at the Tower of Babel. This is the whole human race after the flood. He scattered them abroad. They couldn't communicate with each other. We have a Gideon Bible up here on the table. And if you go to the front of it, it's got a verse taken from the Bible. And it's printed in 20 or 30 or 40 languages. And just to look at those different characters of each letter in their language, the difference is dramatic. Who made that difference? The God of heaven did. It's the God we worship. That God is not preached much anymore. Oh yeah, they'll tell the the story of the Tower of Babel, but how many will actually think about the consequences? God is a God of confusion. He is the author of confusion. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 14 and get that little problem out of your mind. I I know what you're thinking. But doesn't the Bible say God is not the author of confusion? Now let's go look at it. And let's rejoice in the confusion created by confusion. Because God confused all the builders of the Tower of Babel. And God says He is not the author of confusion, when in fact He was the author of confusion. So how do we unconfuse the confusing Bible? And the Bible is confusing. Why is the Bible confusing? That's what I'm preaching to you today. Is God the author of confusion? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle spends 40 verses trying to put prophesying in tongues into their proper place in a New Testament church so that the church services do not look like a bunch of barbarians dancing around a fire and babbling to each other. He did not want the prophets getting up and speaking several at a time. He wanted them one at a time. He wanted those speaking in tongues to have an interpreter there. So that if you didn't know that language, somebody could interpret that language for you, and all the services would end up being edifying to your heart and your soul and your mind. Amen. Any church service that has more than one person speaking at once is wrong. Right. It doesn't matter if they have 5,000 members and we only have 100. They're wrong because 1 Corinthians 14 says it's wrong. Right. A church service is to be run in such a way that people can understand, even if they're unlearned. Amen. They can understand what's going on and they know at what moment they should give, say, amen. amen. They should, at the giving of thanks. This is here in 1 Corinthians 14. If things are done where you don't know where you're supposed to say amen or where you fit in, the service is wrong. That's right. And so that's what 1 Corinthians 14 has in mind when it works its way down to verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. 
So in answer to the question, is God the author of confusion? Absolutely. He confused all men on this planet after the flood when they gathered together at the Tower of Babel. He is the author of confusion. Is God the author of confusion in the assemblies of His churches? Never. He hates it. He wants everything to be done peaceful and in order. Look at verse 14. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's the opposite of the confusion that's under consideration here. He wants a church service to be orderly. Where things progress from one to another. One voice is being heard at a time. When we sing together, we sing in, what's the word that we use? Unison. Because there's only one voice being heard. There's only one set of words being heard. You know, it's at a church picnic or something when we sing around. We don't, we, we want to guard against rounds. Unless it's something very simple where we know the words because a round sounds like a bunch of barbarians. It's not in unison. Everything should be done decently and in order. We sing Psalm 18 as a round, but we know those words very well and there's very few of them. But it's something we want to be careful of. Always be thinking about is what we're doing in decent is it decent, and it's in order, and is it to edification? God is not the author of confusion in that sense. God wants orderly church services. God, God does not want us confusing the orderly things He has taught us, that He has ordained. But that doesn't mean that God won't ordain our confusion. God does not want us confusing the things He's ordained, but that doesn't mean He won't ordain our confusion if we sin against Him. Brethren, God does not owe men the truth. Truth is a blessing. It is not a right. It is a privilege. It is not a right. We chose a lie in the Garden of Eden against His word of truth, so He's only giving us what we want. We said we don't like the truth of God. We want the lie of the devil. I want what Eve brought me instead of what God gave me. There's no truth in a human heart. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Psalm 58, 5, Psalm 51, Psalm 58, 3, and Psalm 51, 5. By our corrupt nature, the way we come into this world, we are children following the course of this world. We're following the prince of the power of the air, who is a liar. We prefer lies. Jesus would make it this plain when he spoke in John 8, 45. Ye believe me not, because I tell you the truth. Because the previous verse he had said, ye are of your father the devil. There was no truth abiding in him. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. The human heart is at enmity against truth. It would rather believe we came from monkeys than we came from a loving creator God. Is that incredible? It would rather believe in reincarnation... So that you allow your cattle to walk in your streets than to butcher one of those cattle and grill it on your grill. Because the God of heaven wants you to take that cow and grill it. Amen. That's right. Look at 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22. What a great God we serve. Amen. He is so good to those that put their trust in Him. And He is so terrible to those that rebel against Him. 1 Kings 22 is a long chapter. I saved you from it last night. I wanted you to read it. But it's long. I didn't want to give you too much to read. Let me just tell you about it. Most of you know it. But I want you to be reminded of what's in it. First Kings 22. Ahab is the king of the ten tribes. Jehoshaphat is the king of the two tribes. They're going to war together. 
Jehoshaphat says, I don't like going to war without hearing from a man of God. Do you have a man of God here? Ahab says, I got all these prophets. Man, look at them. They're all seminary trained THDs. Dr. So-and-so, come up here and introduce yourself to King Jehoshaphat. He wants a man of God. Jehoshaphat said, no, I mean a real man of God. Not one from your seminaries. And they said, oh, we've got one, but we put him in prison right now. Oh, go get him. So the man comes in and pulls Micaiah out of prison. And says to him, you're about to go speak to the king and you better say something good. Because the rest of the prophets are saying something good. And if you don't want the ministerial association to be upset at you, you're going to say something good about King Ahab. Micaiah came up. Here it is. I love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? And do you love the God of His Word? This is the God of heaven. Verse 15. Well, let's get 14. Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that... Will I speak? Amen. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. That is not the truth. That is a lie. And Ahab knew it. Look at the next verse. The king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? How many times do I have to threaten you and warn you to tell me something true? Do you know why he was in prison? Because he did say true things, but they weren't good things about Ahab. This is the God of the Bible. There aren't very many churches in this city or anywhere else that preaches 1 Kings 22. Because it is contrary to their concept of God. God doesn't play around with sinners. Ahab was a sinner. We are not talking about Pharaoh here. We are not talking about the king of Babylon or the king of the Hittites. We are talking about Ahab, the king of the ten tribes of Israel. He was in the church of God. And Micaiah, the prophet of God, lied to him. Sure, you're going to prosper. Go and take it. Go and do it. And he shows the corrupt nature of Ahab. Ahab didn't want truth. He wanted something good said about him. And when something good was said about him, then he called the man a liar. And there's all these other ministerial, this ministerial association is standing around telling Ahab that he is going to win. And that's why Micah agreed with him. Now watch. Is God the author of confusion? Now there's quite a bit of confusion already, isn't there? Ahab knows he's being confused. So we come to verse 19, and I love this. I love this. And he said, I don't want to get to verse 19 yet. I summarized verses 16 through 18 to you, and I hope you're able to read them to you for yourself, and I hope you're able to read them later. That right there in verses 16 through 18, you can find Micaiah changing his prophecy from one of success to one of total failure, that the king was going to be killed in battle, and all his soldiers would be like sheep scattered abroad. And see, there's Ahab. First of all, he accuses him of lying to him. Then when he tells him the truth, he accuses him of never saying anything good. That's called implacability in the Bible. When you read your King James Bible and you come up on a word implacable, it means, here's what it means, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It means you can't please that person any way whatsoever. That's what implacable means. There's no way you can satisfy that person. They are implacable. 
Oh, Ahab was implacable. You never better be implacable when you come to God. You better want to take things his way and you'll cheerfully take them his way. If you're implacable with God, he'll do what he, to you what he did to Ahab. Here's Micaiah now, verse 19. He said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. You've got me out here now. Listen to what the Lord has. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth, and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Praise the God of heaven. This is the God of the Bible. Now is that election... The choice of when to tell the truth and when not to tell the truth. God can send a lying spirit and say, go and prevail. Why would he do that to Ahab? Because Ahab wanted to hear something good rather than the truth. And if you want to go to a church where you can hear something good and pleasant rather than the truth, God will give it to you. If you want to go to a prophet and get something that will justify the idols in your heart, Ezekiel 14, God will give it to you. When you want a lie, God will give you a lie. Amen. Truth is not a right. Truth is a privilege and a blessing. Amen. Micaiah had the truth. If you'd have been Ahab and you had two wits, any two wits left, you wouldn't have gone to battle that day. You'd have dropped to your knees and begged the God of heaven for mercy. Amen. But he went into battle disguised. Read, if you read the rest of the chapter, he went into battle disguised. So they would look like King Jehoshaphat and they wouldn't bother him. And he got out there and the Syrians came after Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat looked like Ahab and Ahab looked like Jehoshaphat, poor Jehoshaphat. And there's Ahab sneaking away because he didn't look like a king. But it says a man drew a bow at a venture. That means he just took an arrow and flung it into space at a retreating army. He wasn't aiming at anything in particular. And God directed that arrow to come down and find the joints of his harness, meaning the cracks in his armor. And it went through his armor, and Ahab was taken out of that battle, bleeding, and he died in a chariot, and the dogs came and licked his blood out of that chariot in a certain plot of ground that he had tried to steal from Naboth, the Jezreelite. That's right. All in one chapter. This is a great God we serve. Amen. Now, how carefully have you read the Bible in the last week? If you neglect this Bible, you're putting Micaiah in a dungeon, giving him bread and water. He'll blind your eyes and you'll never know it. We'll know it. You won't know it. God will know it. You won't know it. We neglect his word too often. Let us humble ourselves before his word and tremble. Let us read it and let us delight in everything he shows us from it. Let us thank him for the truth we see. Let us pray for truth we don't see yet. Right. Lord, help us. What? A lesson. Is God the author of confusion? He sure was in Ahab's life. Ahab died that day according to the word of the prophet. What a great chapter. God sent a lying spirit. I'm going to chase a rabbit. I'm so, 
I'm already in so much trouble, I might as well chase one. A little rabbit. When you, when you face something horrifying in your life, let's talk about surgery. You're going to be put under, and you don't know what's going to happen to you. It could be life-threatening surgery, or surgery to stop a life-threatening disease. I want you to remember 1 Kings 22 in a different way. I want you to remember 1 Kings 22 this way. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven gathered before him. And the Lord said, who will go and protect my daughter, Mary Carlton, in surgery? Let me pick on you, Mary. Who will go and protect? One raised his hand and said, I, I, I'll go do it. No. Another raised his hand, I'll do it. No. Then one came and said, I'll take care of her. Wherewith? I'm going to go and stand there beside her, and I'm going to comfort her myself, and I'm going to direct that physician. I know where he graduated. I was with him through graduate school, medical school, and his residency. I, I helped him get a fellowship, and I'm going to stand there beside him, and he is going to, he is going to perform this surgery better than he ever has before. And I already know that there's going to be some blood loss, but I'm going to stop that blood loss myself. Because you know what the Bible tells me? The Bible says this in Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Amen. The whole host of heaven is the army of the angels of God. And there are times where God sits for our understanding. What I just told you is for your understanding. God told us, 1 Kings 22, for our understanding that he had an assembly. He called together a staff meeting of the angels of heaven. And one offered this, one offered that, and he finally picked one that was going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab's prophets. But I want to tell you that when you're afraid of something, there's a God in heaven that has already had such a staff meeting, and there are angels sent to protect you. Amen. You can read about them throughout the whole Bible. Praise the Lord. That's the rabbit. What does the Bible say about ostriches? What does the Bible say that the Lord wants you to think about when you go to the zoo and look at that big body, long neck, and little tiny head? What does He want you to think? He wants you to know that He denied that creature wisdom. He wants you to know that He made the ostrich stupid. Job 38. Please don't send this tape to PETA. Job 39. Job 39, God made the ostrich for you to delight in how stupid it is. He's bragging about the ostrich to Job, Bildad, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Elihu because he made it stupid. Animal rights. They think animals have rights? Don't get me on that subject again. I think I said enough last week. Although I'm tempted. How can you call a man a murderer for killing a worthless dog? And you can't call a man a murderer who kills unborn children. Is that a sick society? Murderer. That word. How can you call a man who kills a worthless dog a murderer, but you can't call a man who kills an unborn child a murderer? That is really messed up. That sounds like somebody's been rewired. Amen. It sounds like our nation, because our nation's been rewired. Job 39, look at this. I want you just to delight in this God. Verse 13, 
The Lord is speaking and trying to impress Job that Job does not really want to get into a debate with the God of heaven about his righteousness. And so he's exalting his power. Verse 13 of Job 39. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks? When you go to the zoo to see a peacock, you want to see his beautiful wings and tail feathers. Or wings and feathers unto the ostrich. Did you make the ostrich, Job? Which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust. And forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. It goes on to say that she's so dumb that she's not even afraid of a horse and its rider who's going to ride up and kill her, capture her, whatever. But the point being, he deprived her of wisdom and understanding. She lays her eggs in the dust, forgets that they're there, steps on them, breaks them, doesn't think that somebody else, some other animal is going to come along and eat them. The Lord wants you to know that animal is stupid. And why is it stupid? I made it stupid. You know, the Lord owes more to pigs than he does to man, if you're honest with yourself. For you know, you know what? Pigs have never rebelled against the God of heaven like we did in the Garden of Eden and every day since. But when he had a chance in Mark chapter 5, did the Lord Jesus Christ show any mercy to pigs? Or did he send evil spirits into them and cause them to do something contrary to nature? Amen. They ran down a steep place into the sea and were drowned. Choked themselves in the sea. Contrary to nature. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, if you will. I want you to understand the power of the God of heaven. I want you to understand his judgment. He doesn't owe his creatures things. He owes himself honor and glory, and we owe him thanksgiving and appreciation for every bit of truth and righteousness that he shows us. God allowed men to live ignorantly for thousands of years without giving them anything beyond the light of natural creation. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul explains this at the city of Lystra. Acts chapter 14. Verse 16. Speaking, the Apostle Paul is trying to persuade these men away from their idolatry. He says, In times past, God suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, He left not Himself without witness, in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Acts 14, 16 and 17. The living God that made the heaven and the earth is referenced in verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul giving a summary explanation as to why worshiping Jehovah is far superior to being an idolater. But he mentions something about God letting nations dwell in ignorance and suffering them to walk in their own ways. God let nations go on and think that Diana was truly the God of the Ephesians for thousands of years. Chapter 17, when he's on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, with the philosophers of Athens, Greece. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He just winked at the ignorance of the Greeks and their 
multiplicity of gods. He winked at it. But now the Apostle Paul was standing there giving them an opportunity to hear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and they mocked him. And Damaris and Dionysius got up and walked out with him. They heard that truth and they believed it. Thank you, blessed God, for opening their hearts. Amen. Do you know the Bible says Jesus told his disciples, Go not to the lost sheep of go not to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not into any villages of the Samaritans. Do you know there were Samaritans cut off from the truth by that choice of the Lord Jesus Christ on that given day? Look at it in Acts chapter 16, since you're very close at hand. Look at the Holy Spirit's choice of how He directs truth. He can direct it left, right, straight ahead, backward. He can direct it north, south, east, or west. Look at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 6, verse 6. When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Ghost stopped them. This is Asia Minor, a province of the Roman Empire. They were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, another province, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and there Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, Come over and help us. He tried to turn north, turn down. Tried to turn south, turn down. He's coming from the east. The Lord takes him west so that he crosses the strait into Macedonia of Greece. This is the Lord directing his truth. There were people in Bithynia that didn't get to hear Paul that heard him in Macedonia. There were people in Asia that didn't get to hear Paul, but those in Macedonia did get to hear him. If acknowledging the truth, if acknowledging the truth and being able to escape the snare of the devil is only granted by God per chance, then why is it not given to all? Because God makes a choice. You know, by nature, every single one of us do not deserve truth. By nature, we all love lies from the inside out. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are certainly no better than those Jews in John 8:45, where Jesus said, You believe me not because I tell you the truth. We're just like them. And so any truth we ever believe, any truth we ever understand, any, any truth we ever love, it's because God put that in our hearts. And we're to work that salvation out that He puts in us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Truth is a blessing. Truth is God's favor. Truth is not a right. And God knows what would more easily and thoroughly convince, convince us. And persuade us. But he doesn't give men that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 22 is a good place to start. 1 Corinthians 1.22. The Jews require a sign. God's market survey of the audience of the world. The Jews require a sign. If he was to send a whole bunch of miracles, maybe they would believe. The Greeks seek after wisdom. If he was to sit around and smoke something... And have a glazed look in his eyes and talk about something he didn't really understand. They would probably believe that. Like they did their Greek philosophers. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Though God knows what the Jews want. Though God knows what the Greeks want. We preach Christ crucified. And do you know what Jesus Christ crucified is to both categories? Unto the Jews, it's a stumbling block. 
Because to hear about Jesus of Nazareth born into poverty, living in poverty, and dying a death on the cross of Calvary at the Roman hands, that wasn't very glorious. And so it was a stumbling block to Jews because they were looking for another David that would save them from the Roman Empire and restore their nation to preeminence. So it was a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. To preach this idea of a poor man dying as a substitute for other sinners so that they could have eternal life was just, that's just not wise. And so the Greeks hated the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, but unto them which are called. Here's a third category. Unto them which are called. Those that are born again, saved, and appointed to eternal life by the God of heaven, whether they're Jews or Greeks, the preaching of the cross is to them Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That is where understanding truth comes from. It's God making the difference. And then he goes on to describe that that category of people that are called, that can understand something and appreciate something that the Jews and the Greeks can't, are generally the poor people of this world. They're the base. They're the foolish. They're the despised. They're nothing in the opinion of the world in comparison to those philosophers that are something. First Corinthians 1 goes on to describe that. That's why the Bible says in Acts 13, 48, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. These were ordained to eternal life and they believed. And without being ordained to eternal life, your mind is closed to the truth. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to you. God must open your heart. God must open your mind for you to receive the message that God created the heavens and the earth has condemned all men to an eternity in hell, but raised up a man through a virgin birth, the power of God, that would die a substitutionary death for the souls of men. The wisdom of God. The power and the wisdom of God. Only God can reveal it. Here is, here is the Bible's attitude about presenting the gospel. Those that go to Bible college or to seminary are taught different pulpit techniques to get people's attention. If you will think about what goes down in the name of religion today, if you can get a star athlete to come and give a testimony, if you can give somebody who was pulled off a cancer bed to come and give a testimony, you can move everyone emotionally. If you have the right musical instruments playing the right song at the right time, you can move people emotionally. If you have a speaker who's very charismatic and tells wonderful little stories, the average sermon today is about 20 to 25 minutes long, and it contains anywhere between 5 and 15 little stories. If you have someone that can do that, then you can move a person to do whatever you want them to do. Here's what Paul said in the first five verses of the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul was an accomplished speaker. If you don't think he was, then you need to go read Acts 22 through 26, where he was on trial several times and, maxed and, and matched the best orders that the Jews could hire out of Jerusalem. Right. He was very accomplished.
He had been trained all his life. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most respected rabbis in, in Jerusalem at that time. But what, what he tells us here is that when I came to you, Corinthians, I did not bring that excellency of speech. I dumbed my presentation down. I did not come with the techniques of men. I dumbed it down and presented just the pure truth about the Lord Jesus Christ so that your faith would stand in what God has done through Christ and by the power of the Spirit, not because I moved you as an audience. Those are real conversions. You get some athlete to give a testimony, and then you tell them to get up by the hundreds and by the thousands and to come down in a stadium like Billy Graham does. And you have plants in the audience that get up first and come, oh yes, come on. Don't you know anything about a Billy Graham crusade? You have plants that get up and come down. Of course, people come down and they've done studies on those people that hardly a single one of them is left following Christ in any meaningful way. Because it wasn't, it wasn't in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It wasn't the pure love of Christ that got their attention. It was the other trappings around it. Brethren, the Lord has given us His Bible. He's given us His truth. He's given it to us as Gentiles. I started off this morning with Ephesians 5, 8. Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Let us walk as children of light. What should we be doing? We should be praising God and thanking Him that we understand. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. We're bound to be thankful, but we're also bound to be fearful. Lest we love this world too much, lest we neglect His Word too much, Lest we take it for granted and not put it into practice in our lives where He will blind us. Let us not be ignorant of the character of the God we worship. He is a sovereign God that judges His creatures. And when they do not approach Him His way, and when they do not keep His commandments, and when they follow the imaginations of their heart, He will send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. Second Thessalonians. We want to understand why there is so much confusion. Because most men have not humbled themselves before the God of heaven and begged for truth. Therefore, they have ended up believing a lie. We are not better than they, but by the grace of God. But however he, whatever God has done for us, we had better take advantage of it and use it. And follow Him as closely and as carefully as we can. And love His word and be thankful for it. Or we ourselves will be blinded. God is the author of confusion. When men do not humble themselves before Him and love His Word, He has blessed us abundantly. Amen. Do you love Him? Commensurate with what He's shown you. Can you prove it to Him by your works? Because to say it is cheap nothing. Let's prove it by our works. Walk as children of light.